Hey, welcome. This is Pastor Tyler Whitcomb. I just want to say on behalf of the leadership of Fos Church, we are so glad that you're checking out the Fos Church podcast. At Fos, we believe in the authority of God's word and the ability it has through the power of the Holy Spirit to change the hearts of mankind and to mold and shape its readers into the image of Christ. And so we pray that these messages would do just that that you would hear God's word and be changed by it. Lastly, our encouragement is, if you do not belong to a local Bible-believing church, that you would do so, because a podcast will never allow you to serve the purpose that God has called you into belonging to the church. Well, good morning, church. It is great to be in the house of the Lord with you all this morning. I never cease to say that because it's true. Um, I'm always looking forward to Sundays. I'm always looking forward to being with, with you all and worship and singing songs and opening up God's word together. Like this is a highlight of the week for me. Uh, I hope it is for you as well. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we just want to say welcome. Uh, if you're just a guest visiting or uh, in search of a new church, um, we are actually taking a pause on a series today and the message um, really doesn't apply to you today. So I apologize that this is the week you came on. I'm doing a standalone sermon today. Um, we, we've been in a series going through um, First Samuel uh, to talk about uh, King Saul and King David and, and what we can learn through their lives, what we can learn through their, them being king. Um, and I, I press pause because I think as as a leader, um, one of the things that's required of a leader is vision, and that's to be able to see ahead, to be able to discern where we're at, where we're going, and at times say, okay, do we need to reorient ourselves? Um, and so that's why we press pause. That's why we're going through uh, a unique sermon today, a standalone message. But for me, um, I've just been feeling challenged to give a challenge. And one of the things I said to Karen in my office before service was, like I said, is this too much? Is this this too heavy? Um, Because what I told her yesterday when I was finishing up the message, I said, I think we're going to have all of six people back next week. Um, Because I might step on some toes today. I might touch you in a place you don't want to be touched. And in love, I feel like I have to do that. And love, I want the, 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 the word of God to bear some weight on us in this room today. Um, because I believe that the word of God has given us instruction for life and godliness. Everything that we need to know about life, we can find in the word and that there's nothing in the, within the confines of the word that isn't good news for us. And so a challenge might be hard, it might be heavy, and yet it's still good. It's good for the soul, it's good for the person, the believer. Um, and so we... Uh, uh, I just want to caution us as a church to not drift, to not drift, to not become complacent, not to play church. And I hope you know what I mean when I say that, to this idea of I just show up, I just come and I, I watch a message and I, and I check a box off and I go home and nothing about my life looks different. The way I interact with my spouse, the way I interact with my kids, the way I interact at the workplace, like this ought to really do transformative work, like that, that the word of God 
the wisdom that it offers through the power of the Holy Spirit can actually bring forth real change in someone. Transformational change. Not um, a, a good speaker could motivate you, could, could make you maybe conform to a pattern of behaviors for a time. But, but unless we get to the real root issue, the, unless this gets to our, our soul level, it's not really going to change us. So um, I, w- I want to talk about um, an uncomfortable topic today. Uh, you're probably thinking, man, you're really building this up. You've spent about five minutes now. You know, this is going to be good. What are, what are we talking about? Um, we're going to talk about being all in as a follower of Jesus and what that means from the standpoint of your time, your energy, and resources, and and really what that, what that looks like in the life of a person, the life of a believer. And again, you started talking about people's time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stay away from that. That's a precious commodity. Or are you, are you, and then you start talking about resources. Hey, are you, are you after my money? Like, you better watch yourself. And so, again, these are the subjects I'm going to enter into today. And I'm expecting to see six of you back next week. Um, but I, I, I watched the... Um, who, who here saw the Jesus Revolution yet? Good show of hands. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to see it. I saw it this week, and I left, and I remember, I remember leaving and, and laying up in bed that night and thinking, you know, all these different ways that we can reach the next generation. You know, this generation that's pursuing so many good things, but they're finding and looking in the wrong places. And that, that was a line from the movie that, that really resonated with me that I thought about was, when Lonnie Frisbee, the, this hippie, uh, says to Chuck Smith, this hellfire and brimstone preacher, and he says, hey, Chuck, you look at this generation, you make all these assumptions. He goes, but they're not looking for bad things. They're looking for good things. They're looking for love and meaning and purpose and identity, authenticity. They're not looking for bad things. They're just going to the wrong places. And that's what I thought. I mean, that's where our generation is. That's where our our culture is at. They're desiring good things. They're desiring to be seen. Look at Facebook. Look at Instagram, TikTok. I mean, people want to be seen. They do. And that's not bad. But again, if that insecurity or that, that desire isn't rooted in your understanding of God and how God sees you, then you'll go and you'll make a spectacle of yourself in bad places, right? And, and so I'm thinking about this next generation that's chasing drugs and sex, and, and I see how this 180 took place in the lives of people. They, they went from living the drug, sex, and rock and roll life to being this Jesus freak. And I'm sure it just pondered people, the people around them. Uh, why are they acting that way? You know, how, how does something like this take place? They became all about Jesus. And that's my heart for our church, that we become all about Jesus, that this mission that he's put us on to make disciples of all peoples and teach them all that Jesus has commanded, that that, that would be our singular focus, our singular mission, that everything that we do from our time, energy, and resources, stands by that this is my mission, that this is what I'm living for. And so 
that we wouldn't be people that have one foot in in the mission of Jesus and one foot in in our own thing, but that we would be radically bought into the mission of God in the world today. And that we would, that we must seek and savor Christ above every earthly delight. We would seek and savor Christ above any earthly delight. A few months back, uh, Karen and I were on a vacation um, where we, went, we spent some time on the beach and then we went back to our room and we're sitting together and uh, I realized there was something missing from my left hand on specifically this finger. Um, and I said, hey, can I have my ring back? Because at this point, I'm going to give you a little context, she th- would think it was funny to take off my ring and wait to the point till I realized it was gone and then ask for it or acknowledge that it was gone. And then so I'm sure you can tell by my tone of, hey, can I have my ring back? I wasn't a huge fan of the game of hide and seek with my wedding ring. And so I said, can I have my wedding ring back? She says, I don't have it again. That's part of the game. So I said, this is not funny. I want my ring back now, please. And uh, she, for and I, for about the next five minutes, both thought we were putting one on each other and making a game of it. Um, and then once we realized that the ring really was missing, it was, okay, we need to tear apart the room, look for this thing, did it slip off somehow? And so we, we tore apart the room, we couldn't find it, so we went downstairs, we reported it missing, and then we went back to the beach, we retraced our steps back, rented snorkels, and then got into the water and went searching for this thing. Um, and maybe you're wondering, hey, did you find it? No, we did not. Um, currently, this is a rubber ring, but it was, it's black, and um, none of you ever commented on it. So I'm sad and disappointed you didn't notice. Um, but why would we go to such extremes to search for something? Because it has value. Because it had value. It had value both sentimentally, right? This was on the day where I stood across from my wife and vowed, uh, com- made a commitment to love her forever. And, and these rings are, are, are just a, a token, right? If you've been to a wedding, you probably hear them say, you know, and you've chosen, you know, a, a circular ring and it's a token of your love. It is a token. When you, when you look at that, you're reminded of the promise you made to your spouse. And so I'm, I'm now missing that token, and it meant something, not just because of sentimental value, but also because of cost value, right? There's just multiple reasons why this is valuable. And so we went and we searched everywhere for this ring. And, and because we didn't find it, I, I felt beat up from the day. I felt just kind of like, man, I just, I lost something of, of value. Um, and, and Karen was really encouraging about the whole situation. But that ring meant a lot to me, as I'm sure you could imagine, and all of us have a quest. We are all searching for something with that same level of earnestness and desire and passion. We're all chasing value and meaning and purpose to a really great degree and extent. And that, that price that you're willing to pay is really your life. That's pretty costly if you ask me. Um, and if we're not careful, we'll be like me on the vacation 
and we'll look and we'll look and we'll look and we'll never find it. We'll never find it. We'll waste our lives if we don't truly understand what it is that we're searching for, the quest for, where meaning and purpose and value and love really are. Um, and this isn't a bad thing. It's not, I mean, it's not bad that, that we're on this quest. It's not bad that we're searching for meaning. Again, Lonnie Frisbee, right? You're looking for all the right things. You're just going to all the wrong places. To search for a meaningful life is not bad or wrong. This is what the Apostle Paul would say in Ephesians 5. Um, I really think the NIV says it best. I might have in my slides put ESV, but this is the NIV. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now I'm going to give you the TWV, the Tyler Wick conversion. It's just a paraphrase. Don't... Um, Paul says, hey, listen up. L listen up because time is of the essence. There's not much time. And so be careful what you're giving your time to. Essentially, he says, be paying attention to what you're paying attention to. Be paying attention to what you're paying attention to. To see life as something, you know, you don't want to waste or mess up. That, that's right and good. That's right and good to not want to waste your life. Time is short, so why, you got to be careful how you use it. Um, and I see that. I see this within our culture and our world that, that people are searching, and they're searching for meaning and purpose in a time that's in the church. And so my aim this morning is, yes, that we would have this focus of what we're pursuing, what we're going after, what we're going all in on. Because time is short. We are now all um, 45 minutes closer to that end date, that expiration date on our lives than, we're, than we were when we started this service. Like, like time, you just don't get it back. You don't, you don't get time back. It's, it's a precious commodity. I get it. So what are we giving it to? And I'm going to make a petition from the word of God what you ought to be giving it towards. Matthew chapter 13 um, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In this moment, Jesus is teaching him what's called a parable. And a parable is a simple illustration or story that has a meaning of, of moral significance or spiritual significance. And so Jesus in this moment, he's trying to teach about a culture. You see that in verse 44? He, he says, I want to teach you about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Right? So he's talking about a culture. There's a kingdom here. And then he says, and this is how one who lives within that kingdom ought to experience this kingdom. And now this might seem like a simple story, right? I mean, it's one verse. The, the parable is done in one verse but yet it conveys a lot of depth and meaning. Um, this idea of burying something probably doesn't, it might seem odd to you. you you're reading that story and you say, hey, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure found in a field. And when this man who comes across it finds it, what his first instinct to do is to bury it up again. Again. That means he uncovered it through digging it out. 
burying something doesn't sound like a, we don't do that. My, my guess is your backyard is not riddled of your most precious belongings. If it is, let me know. I'd love to stop by later this evening. Let me know when you're not home. I'll just make it quick. But we don't do that. Why? Because we, I mean, my guess is I'm just going out on a whim here. Your money's in a bank somewhere. Probably locked in a vault. But in the first century, you don't have that. And so you have things that are precious and valuable. You don't have a safe. You're not locking stuff up like that. And so there are thieves and robbers that come around and steal and, and, take from people's property. And so, hey, what's the best place? Where, where can I put this where nobody's gonna find it? Well, dig it up and bury it in your yard somewhere. And now if you were gonna sell that property, what you would do is you would have an inventory of what you had and you would go and you would dig up all that you had of, of value. Why? Because once you sold that property, everything buried did belong to the new landowner. And so um, this guy that stumbles across this, and within this field, more than likely a laborer, that, that would probably be the best understanding of this, one who worked on that field, he buries and, and uncovers this hidden treasure. Oh my goodness. You, you, think, you think he's gonna go run and show the treasure to his landowner that he's working for and saying, hey, look what I found you? He doesn't do that. That wasn't his first response. His next response was, you know what? This is so precious and it's so meaningful. I'm gonna dig up another hole, bury this, cover it up, and then I'm gonna go sell all that I have. My house, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dump my 401k. I'm gonna do whatever I gotta do to make this purchase because this treasure has that value to it. I'm willing to give it all up for the sake of getting this treasure. Now catch this, the farmer, the laborer on the field is not looking for treasure. He's just going about his everyday life. I mean, he's, he's punching a nine to five clock, right? He's, he's go home, probably provide for the family, put food on the, on the table, you know, keep the lights on. You know, he's, he's, an, he's an honest man. He's, he's doing an honest wage, an honest job, honest work. And yet he's just getting by with life. He's going about, he's, he's able to, nothing's too out of, out of the ordinary. He's just getting by, he's surviving. But upon coming to Jesus, upon seeing Jesus, this hidden treasure, and coming into a contact that he sees the value of saying, hey, this offers more than just the mundane of life. He's offering more than what I'm currently doing. And so I'm going to go sell all that I have. I'm going to give it all up. Why? For the sake of Jesus. For the sake of Jesus. Um, but that guy, when faced with the beauty of God and his grace, cannot deny that it's more valuable than what he's living for. Because when he comes across the treasure, he's willing to give up it all, right? And so is the beauty of Jesus worth that? Is the beauty of Jesus worth all of your life, every bit of you? Um, or are we hoping that Jesus is going to go on sale at some point? Are we hoping that Jesus is going to go get marked off 50%? 
If I could just get Jesus 50% off, then I'm willing to do that. If Jesus only consumes some of my time, not all of my time, if he only consumes some of my resources, not all of my resources, well, then I'd be willing to accommodate Jesus into my life. But if Jesus is really 100%, if he's all, then that might be too hefty of a cost for me to give my life towards. Um, if I was at a dealership, um, I want to say this real quick before I move on from that. Jesus will never be marked down 50% on clearance and giving all you have is never overpaying either. If I went to a car dealership and I was looking at a car that had all the bells and whistles, all the trinkets, you know, the, the cruise control that's practically an autonomous vehicle at this point, um, you know, if I had every bit of technology and every bit of comfort that one could have in buying a car, and I said, hey, uh, dealer, you know, salesman, come here, I, I need to talk to you. Yeah, I love this car. I mean, the, the, my, my current uh, 2010 Xterra is making a, a rattling noise underneath the car. I'm not sure what that is. I'm ready to move on up in the world. Um, how can I get this new beautiful vehicle? So, well, um, it's going to cost, it's going to cost a lot. I said, well, is there, is there a deal coming up, clearance? I mean, is there a time coming when I'm going to be able to get, when's the next big, is, there's got to be a Columbus Day sale coming up, correct? Uh, but if what he said back to me was that this car is going to cost you all that you have, and I pulled out my wallet, again, pastor budget here, right? And I open it up and I say, I got 64 bucks. Will that cover it? So can I see the wallet? So I show them, I open it up, you know, empty out my pockets. It's all that I got. Sold. None of us would say, hey, you overpaid for that. None of us would say, hey, that was too great of a cost for you to give towards. You will not get to heaven and people aren't going to look at you and say, man, you gave your life to Jesus. You gave all of your time and your energy and your resources. You viewed everything as God's and you, and you laid it out there and, and you tried to make much of Jesus in the world. Man, you could have, you could have, you know, worked towards, you know, living a, a very comfortable, leisurely life, but, but instead you, you gave up for the mission of God. No one is going to say you overpaid. No one is ever going to say, hey, you should have waited for a deal. You should have tried to get it cheaper. No, people are going to say, what a steal that you got. You gave your life and you got Jesus? That's the deal of a lifetime. I mean, I mean, this guy does that, right? He says in his joy, he went and gave everything that he had. He wasn't doing it reluctantly. And so if you look at Jesus and you say, hey, he's not worthy of all my time. He's not worthy of all my resources. He's, he's not worthy of all. I, I would just say, man, do you, do you see Jesus for as beautiful as he is? Do you see the beauty of his sacrifice on the cross? Do you see the beauty of him paying for your sin? And I can't help but start feeling emotional when I'm talking about that because Jesus is that beautiful. He's beautiful. He's worthy of your life. Um, he's worthy of it all. And so now I'm going to step into that place of uncomfortability 
where people tend to get squirmy and you say, hey, you start talking about my time and my resources. Like, like don't go there. I have to. But do you realize, do you believe, you know, in the vein of finances, do you believe that everything you have is God's? Do you believe every bit of your finances has been given to you by God to steward appropriately? And you say, oh, hey, the church is about my money. I'm not about your money. We're not about your money. We're about the worship of God in the world. And yes, there's a component of that where finances are attributed to those types of things. And God has given to you to play a part in the mission of what he's doing. And as a follower of Jesus, we, we believe that. We believe that all my time and all my resources have been given to me by God and that I need to steward them accordingly. So that means when you're doing your budget breakdown and spreadsheets, believe me, before, before I was married, I did not have a budget or a spreadsheet. It was, can I do this? I did the whole wall of thing. Like, yeah, I can do that. I'm not gonna be able to do anything else, but I can do that. You know, so um, that, that, was, that was my financial forecast and plan. Not great. Um, but do we see as we're doing our budget and our breakdowns and our spreadsheets, do we see that, hey, this is God's money? And so, yeah, you have a mortgage. I'm not saying get rid of your mortgage. But I might be telling you, use your house as an avenue to minister to people. I might be encouraging you to make a meal for somebody, invite them into your home. That, that, that costs money. As well, the best that I can understand this, but the, the book, the Bible, that there is a principle of giving to the church, that what we're doing here collectively, money is involved. And you may say, well, hey, that, that, you're the guy that's probably receiving the biggest cut of what's going on here. That's true. I'm not denying that. But I will tell you that giving to the church is a priority for my wife, and I don't say that to showboat. I honestly don't say that to showboat. I, I say that because I do believe that this is a biblical principle, not just seen in the old, but in the new. Um, because you say, well, yeah, this is benefiting you. Hey, the monies that we could have to disperse other places, part of it is saying, no, no, we need, we need to give to the church. We need to give to the mission of God because God's mission is seen through the church Look at the book of Acts and the church multiplied and the church multiplied that what God is doing through the world is the church. The church is plan A for the evangelization of the world. This whole idea of individualized missionaries running around in the jungle, like that's just not what you see in the New Testament. Paul, you may say, well, what about Paul? Paul is going and he's establishing churches because Christianity is not individualistic. It's corporate. And so the, the, the idea of, you know, giving towards the church is seen in the New Testament. If you don't believe me, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm not going to go into all of it with you today. But 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is writing to the church because the church is struggling financially. The church is struggling in, in their giving. And the example he gives, he says, hey, this church at Macedonia, they, they were under great affliction and great trial, and yet they gave generously. And he's saying, allow them to be a model or a picture of faithfulness to you. And in church in Corinth, you need to grow in this area. Uh, this, is what, this is what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. But since you excel in everything, 
in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and the love that we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of, what's that last word? What was that last word? All right, we're good. The six of you said it. Um, (laughs) Paul acknowledges that finances are struggling within the church at Corinth, and he calls them to step up in this area. So much so, he ties it to something at the end of the chapter. In verse 24, he says this, therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for the pride of our pride in you that the churches can see it. He ties the call to giving to love. That you want to see that you're loving, what he says is put your money where your mouth is. That, that's, and I, I said to Karen, I'm reading that verse to her and I said, am I getting this wrong? Am I, am I, and, and the encouragement was, the word of God provides challenges. It does. And so I, I say that, um, you know, maybe you're saying, okay, well, what is that? Because in the Old Testament, we see 10%. You don't see that in the New Testament. So, so how, much, how much do we give? What is the New Testament principle for giving? It's generosity. This is what Jesus says. Luke 21, starting verse one. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. Um, depending on your translation, it will say temple, treasury. So again, church. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. And he said, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all for all these out of their abundance have put in an offering to God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. And so maybe you're standing up here and you're thinking, hey, are you you coming after my money? You're coming after my wisdom? That's not the goal. That's not the aim. That's not the the, the, the talk. I'm not saying, hey, you, you should be, Given X amount of dollars. No, that's not it at all. That's not what you see here at all. You see generosity is not giving a percentage, so to speak, but it's really out of this idea. Jesus looks at this woman who's not really given very much and he says, she gets it. She gets it. And so we're not saying put in a thousand dollars. We're saying, hey, that Starbucks that you get, you know, five days a week, what might $25 now a week do towards the, the, the movement of God's kingdom? I get it. Uh, it's not a, a fun conversation, but I'm, I'm, you know, we maybe people would argue, well, isn't 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul opening the, dis- the door for you to decide, you know, dis- discern how much you want to give in, in your heart? Isn't that the, what Paul's getting after? No, Paul's not getting at the door for you to say, I want to give nothing. <laughs> That's not, the, that's not what Paul's getting after. Um, because right before he says that, he says, if you sow little, you'll reap little. And that doesn't mean, hey, you sow in, you're gonna get an ROI and your 401k is gonna be booming. That's not what Paul's saying. But he is saying lack of ministry is equated to lack of resources. That resources are required in the movement of the ministry through the church. And church, I believe God is doing some amazing things here. And we're doing some things really well. I I think generally speaking on a Sunday morning, I believe that what people are doing is they're coming in and they're really worshiping. I I believe us as a church collectively, when we come in, we are truly worshiping. I believe that God's spirit is here and it's, he's working. He's changing us, conforming us more, transforming us more into the image of Jesus. But there are areas that we're failing in. 
Truth be told, there's areas we are failing in. I think we, outside of Sunday morning, um, are, are lacking in some, some really key discipleship areas. Um, through, through outreach and evangelism to our, our neighborhoods, um, we are set in such a prime and beautiful location. I mean, we are in the center of what's happening in Sterling Heights. We are right across from a middle school. We're down the road uh, about a mile from one of the largest high schools in Macomb County, Stevenson High School. The families, the community, it's all right here. But honestly, efforts that, would, that we would need to be able to engage in these places do, they, get, they cost money. And as it stands currently, and again, I put this before you not as a, hey, I'm, I'm jingling a cup out here. But as we stand, we're, we're running in the red. That's just, that's the reality of it. You know, us doing the quote-unquote bare minimum right now of having a Sunday service, we're struggling to get by. You know, we, we are. That, that's the reality. So I, I, I say that just to say, hey, I'm not sure if you're aware. I'm not sure if you're aware. But what would it look like for us to be all in collectively for the kingdom of God, his mission in the world. And beyond the resources, again, this man became all in. It says that he did this out of joy. This, this mission of God became passion. And so time and energy and points of service, like this, this is not a community where you've been called to come in and watch. That's not how the body works. If I just decided I'm gonna start walking on one foot, like, it's going to make life a lot more difficult and harder to accomplish everyday things of life. And the biblical principle we have of the, of the church is a body. That's the picture we get. And so if we're, if we're not all functioning and working together, it makes it more difficult to accomplish the mission of God. It's not to say impossible because God's going to accomplish his mission one way or the other. But why wouldn't we want to participate? Why wouldn't we want to play a part in what God's doing in the cosmos? God's invited us into that. And so I want to make us aware of that just so that we as a church would excel in this grace of giving to be all in with our time and energy resources. But it, um, it honestly leads to what Jesus says next about the kingdom of God um, in verses 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? You have an individual who says, hey, and upon finding Jesus, I'm willing to give it all up. Now, I want, I want to just distinguish a difference here. The response is the same in coming to Jesus, but these are two very different individuals. You have the laborer or the farmer who's on the field working, doing his nine-to-five job, getting by in life, and there's not really seemingly too many problems or hurdles. But then you also um, have this guy who is a merchant in search of fine pearls. This is not someone who's just stagnantly going through life, but he's truly pursuing the highs of life pursuing love and meaning and purpose value. And again, we see this in our, in our generation and culture. It's in the music industry, in Hollywood, social media, and we're all being sold on this dream that the quest for that fine pearl, that the fine pearl 
could be found in places like relationships and money and sex and alcohol, climbing the corporate ladder and all those things aren't bad in and of themselves. But if that's the pearl and that's the goal, and I'm gonna say something and I know, I know my wife's heart so she's not gonna be upset that I'm saying this. But I remember as a single thinking honestly that the pearl was marriage. That once I found the right person and I truly believe that I have, that once I found that, once I put my energy and efforts into marriage, then life was going to be amazing. And guess what? I got married to a beautiful, amazing inside and out woman. And guess what? Life is still difficult at times. Sometimes it's really hard and sometimes it's not always fun. And marriage, what it can do is it can help you become more like Jesus. And so it's a beautiful gift of God, but it is not the pearl. Christ is the pearl. Marriage is a beautiful gift from that pearl, but it's not the pearl. Your, your job, your climbing the ladder in corporate and becoming a business owner and, and, and having everything that you could ever think you could want is not the pearl, not bad in and of itself. To be driven to have a, a good career is not bad in and of themselves, but do you see that as a way to help leverage you in, the, in, in doing God's work for the, within the world? Because guess what? Yeah, you, you climb that corporate ladder, it's going to take some time. It's going to require things of you. But if you have a focus that I'm on mission for God in the world, then I get to view my job differently. I get to see my coworkers and people around me or the people that are working for me. I get to see a different purpose in that. I get to see opportunity to really display the love of God in Christ Jesus to these people. I get to show them how to respond and live differently in a world that's saturated about self. And my life is not about that. My life is about God and his kingdom. When you come to this pearl, he redefines everything. Upon finding him, he puts you on a new quest, a new mission. And his mission is to see disciples made from every tribe and tongue and language, and that's the mission above everything else, every worthy and good cause. If it never gets to the heart of discipleship, then it was a failed cause. If it never gets to teaching about Jesus, again, humanitarian efforts are not bad things. But as Christians, if we don't see that as a bridge and opportunity to evangelize and disciple people, then it was a failed cause. So that Jesus is preeminent. Again, we, we, we have some lofty goals here, but I believe that Jesus is worth it. I believe he's worth going after this community. I, I believe that the discipling of us is important beyond just Sundays. And so uh, that, that's, that's my call for us this morning, is that we would be all in, that, that this would be the, the quest that we're now on, that he's worthy again of our time and energy and resources. He's worthy of our service. And maybe say, hey, I only got 24 hours in a day. I can't possibly think about serving Jesus. I can't fit him into my schedule at this point in the game. Here's my encouragement to you. Allow Jesus to interrupt your schedule. Allow Jesus to interrupt your schedule because he's worth it. Why? Because he died for you. Because he died for you. This is how we know the love of God. That while we were still sinners, Christ would die for you. 
while you were still that laborer on that field going about your life and everything seemed all right, while you were that, that merchant on a quest for a great pearl, Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. When, when sin consumed your life, Jesus died for you. That is the beautiful promise of the scriptures. Jesus died for us so that we might know God, the Father, and have relationship with him for all of eternity in heaven. And if you're here today and you say, hey, you you've, you've seem like you're coming after my, my calendar and you're coming after my, my checkbook, I, that, again, not the goal. The greatest goal here is worship. And I want to see you enter into worship. One pastor said that the greatest need in the world is not evangelism. It's worship. Because evangelism exists because worship doesn't. And so why do we go to the ends of the earth? Why do we? Because we want to see people worshiping God with their lives. And if you never have, the point isn't about your wallet. It's not about your calendar. It's about seeing Jesus as beautiful. I want to invite you into that. That brokenness that you've experienced in life, the thing that, that you've say, hey, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep filling the blank? I want to overcome that. I want to experience real life. It's found in Jesus. It's found in Jesus, and he made a way for you because good works weren't going to do it for you. Not enough white-knuckle discipline was going to get you back to God to experience real life, to give you victory over sin. That wasn't going to be through you. And because that was the scenario and that was the case that we were all in, Jesus came to this world and he lived a sinless life and he became the propitiation, the substitutionary payment for you and I. That the bill that you and I owed was no longer being paid for by us, but that Jesus has stepped in and said, I'll cover it. And so your way back to God is through Jesus, through confession and repentance. That word confess is just an expression of, there's no magical word, but it's an expression of, God, I give you my life. And repentance is turning away from what I was once pursuing. And now my new quest, my great pearl is Jesus. And so if you never have today, I invite you into that to become a true worshiper of God. Let's pray.